Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How you doing? Awesome. Man, we have so much good stuff to talk about. Can't wait. Really excited. You know, I don't care who the governor of Virginia is uh, in general. Um, and I always think that national attention on these single races and acting like that's a bill, big bellwether for the upcoming. I always think that's dumb. Um, and and East Coast elections get way more attention than West Coast elections just because they're in the backyard of the uh, people in the media. So, um, in general, I don't care about the uh, the race for governor there in Virginia. But the fact that the whole critical race theory schools parents versus school boards thing has emerged as the topic. I really like that. Well, and those suburbs of D.C. in northern Virginia are one of the world capitals of Lululemon-wearing white college-educated women fascists who want to control everything, including the re-education of your children. So it's it's significant. I definitely have a rooting interest in that. Quick question, though. What's a bellwether? Wouldn't it be a weather bell if it, like, indicated, you know, like a change in the weather? I mean, I've used the expression a hundred times, but I don't know what the origin is. It's a real bellwether for the, uh, the race. It means you know, it's but... an indication of something. Right, but where did where, where the uh, expression come from? I don't know. I don't know either. You know, so... if you're an old-timey sailor, <laughs> if you just got off the Pequod, give us a text, 415-295-KFTC. Yar. <laughs> Moby Dick took both me thumbs. It's hard for me to text. So uh, coming up, Queequeg, what's a bellwether? <laughs> I don't know. Coming up, rock solid information. Now recognized left, right, and center on number one. How much danger kids are in from the Chinese bat fever? I worry about it every day. No, that's sorry. I, I mistook myself. I have not worried about it ever at all during the year. Because you're and a half. not a delusional neurotic. Exactly. So, solid information on that and solid information on the comparison between natural immunity, because mm. you've had the bat fever, versus a vaccine. So, stay with us for that. That's good stuff there, because I think the science is finally in on that. Yeah, well, it's been in for some time, but now it's just undeniable, indisputable. Michael, I forgot to warn you, but it's time for another Blue State Update (laughs) theme music. (laughs) Blue State Update. Looking first to Washington State, beautiful Seattle, Washington. It's no secret that Seattle-based Amazon... And the city council of its headquarters have been going through a rough patch for several years. Uh, and CEO Andy Jassy gave his take on the situation this week. Jassy maintains the retail giant will always have folks in the Seattle area. But Amazon is looking outside Seattle to expand. And there are no guarantees at all that Seattle will remain its home base. Wow. Yeah, I think our relationship with Seattle had ups and downs, frankly, he said recently. I think the 20-ish years were pretty collaborative, noting that when Amazon decided to build its campus, the council was very supportive and solicitous. But in the past five years, he said, quote, the city council has become less enamored with business or with Amazon. It's it's just been rough. It's, it's wild. So two of the biggest companies in the world, Amazon and Tesla, both looking at leaving their hometowns because their local governments make it so hard to do business. It's the opposite of what happened in those 
Michigan towns when the car companies were going the strongest, you know, during the 50s and 60s and everything like that, or even still today, they bend over backwards with all kinds of tax breaks and this and that, and they build a fresh new highway straight to your front door, whatever they got to do to keep you around. Right. But nope, locally uh, for giant Amazon and Tesla, we're, we're happy to run you out of town. You don't think the way we do, go to Texas or some other place. That's good for us. What? We're going to tax you 50% to make sure we have enough to give needles to junkies. Amazon's new CEO says the animosity from the Seattle City Council members has become too much to ignore in recent years. First of all, we don't think of HQ1 being Seattle any longer. We really think of it as Puget Sound. We have a lot of people in Seattle, but we have a lot of people in Bellevue. It's where most of our growth will end up being, and, and in other places around the country as well. So Seattle has finally kicked Amazon one too many times, and they're being subtle about it, but they're obviously it looking would, to It would be like Detroit driving General Motors out in the 50s. General Motors has to relocate to Nashville because the local government doesn't like them. Right, right. Well, people were much more practical back in the 50s, Jack. The whole lunatic, woke, neo-hippie, unicorn-riding garbage wasn't uh, running wild in the, the government. It's a blue state update, Michael. Come on. Come on. New York has gone from one of the most dangerous big cities in the country, in the world, to one of the safest and most wonderful places to be, now back to dangerous. Manhattan cops had opened fire early Monday on suspected members of a high-end armed robbery ring who are working up and down Manhattan out front of all the most expensive restaurants, the hottest clubs. They pull up in expensive cars. They put a gun in your face. They rob everybody of their jewelry and watches. Then they go off scot-free into the night. One guy's been shot dead because, whatever, he didn't want to give up his watch or what have you. The robbers, who call themselves OED for Own Every Dollar, are affiliated with the notorious Trinitarios gang in the Bronx Bronx, and are suspected in at least one homicide. The cops are vowing to crack down, but crime continues to surge in New York and in blue cities everywhere. So, remember last week I had another story about a run-in with a street person, and I was, um, and he was very aggressive, and I was, uh, pontificating that it seems to me that the ne'er-do-well element on our streets is much more bold than they used to be. Uh, they feel like they have the upper hand right now, so they can uh, push back. They don't need to cower and hide and, and worry about getting arrested or whatever. And, or, or even act like decent human beings. Right. Just and be polite. We got a, a text after I said that from a former uh, DA, former prosecutor, um, saying that is absolutely the case. The criminals or the people that are willing to do bad are way emboldened by the change in the climate around all this sort of stuff. And they feel like they can do and say what they want. So keep that in mind. Wow. Final note, Blue State update once again in Gotham, New York. The Rikers Island Jail Complex has been notorious for a long time as a very, very rough place. It's also a very, very old place. Evidently, they're having serious staffing problems. Acute labor shortages. That's that's applying to every industry, it seems, right now, which is odd, but we'll get more into that later. We didn't have a labor shortage two years ago. Hmm. Anyway, the situation at Rikers Island is just nuts. And uh, in the New York Times, they're they're telling a number of stories. 
An inmate who just, uh, they're, they're, he, he grabs the keys to a bus, puts it in gear, rams a jail building repeatedly. Uh, there's a crisis. Uh, da, 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 here it is. Detainees in some buildings have seized near total control over entire units, deciding who can enter and leave. In other buildings, they've wandered in and out of staff break rooms and similarly restricted items with some flouting rules against smoking tobacco and marijuana. So they walk around smoking joints and cigarettes. Sometimes they've answered phones that were supposed to be manned by guards. Several have stolen keys walking into empty guard uh, rooms and used them to free others in custody who went on to commit slashings and other acts of violence. Wow. And the chaos is not limited to the the incarcerated people. It's funny. The New York Times no longer uses the term inmates. They use incarcerated people. How cute is that? Corrections officers have participated (laughs) in beatings or failed to intervene in hangings and other urgent situations. Last week, a guard was charged with providing of razor blade to a detainee who planned to use it as a weapon. City officials have accused jail officers of abusing generous sick leave policies. Hundreds have been out of their jobs at home, out of work claiming to be sick, while the officers' labor union has said guards are not going to work because conditions in the jail are unsafe and inhumane. You have doors that don't lock properly, cells that are too deteriorated to contain detainees, and aging objects like radiators that can be ripped apart and turned into weapons. And the jail complex is also relying on guards who, thanks to years of mismanagement and ineffective training, sometimes fail to follow rules meant to keep them and the incarcerated people safe. Utter chaos in the New York prison, Rikers Island. You using the term incarcerated people reminds me um, we should post this at the website. Our uh, friend Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, was on John Stossel's show the other day, and Tim was talking about the left's changing of the language and uh, how it's straight out of George Orwell and making a bunch of comparisons. Really, really good stuff about you know birthing people and incarcerated people and all this weird stuff. People experiencing homeless. Yeah. Uh, Homelessness. Chest- Sorry. Chest-feeding, birthing people, and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I, I tweeted that out yesterday, but we should post that on our website. It's, it's really good. It's like five minutes long, so it's too, too long to play on the radio. But Tim was brilliant, as usual, on the topic. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, we'll post that at armstrongandgetty.com. How did Dave Chappelle's show strike the critics versus the audience? Same with Dr. Fauci's documentary, Critics versus the Audience. We can take a look at that after the weekend. I think you can... Probably guess. And then Joe's got that COVID stuff for us. I just came across another thing about kids and COVID. All on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Did you hear about this? Over the weekend, Southwest Airlines canceled more than 2,000 flights. Southwest actually blamed the cancellations on air traffic control and bad weather. But the FAA said that there wasn't a problem and other, every other airline was fine. Yeah, in a statement, the FAA was like, uh, nice try, bro. Southwest is basically that guy who shows up uh, to work late, like, sorry, crazy traffic, and everyone else like, we all got here fine. We're- yeah, it is very similar to that. So mm. was there, like, oh, the weather was rough. What? 
Well, and we have it on some pretty good authority. It was the pilots flexing their muscles, saying uh, this is a vaccine mandate now. But they can't say it out loud because it then becomes a, a legal problem? Yeah, it's an illegal work uh, stoppage. Gotcha. So you want your bosses to know to put pressure on them, but you can't explicitly say it. Right. Right. Everybody knows what's going on. It's the unspoken uh, threat. So that was comedy from Jimmy Fallon. Speaking of comedy, Dave Chappelle's new comedy special was on Netflix over the weekend and did really well, although Netflix does not reveal their ratings because it gives them more leverage uh, in things. But the um, the CEO of Netflix has come out and said, uh, we will not be removing Dave Chappelle's special. We believe in creative freedom. I think it's got to do with how popular it is and how much money it makes. Netflix, I have a feeling if it was... It might be a factor. I have a feeling if it was just an okay guy you've never really heard of that's not getting that much traction, rather than ha- stand up to the, 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 the trans community inside his own Netflix office and outside, that it, it be, might be different. But as he pointed out, uh, the last special Chappelle did, Sticks and Stones, he said, is our most watched, stickiest, and most award-winning stand-up special we've ever aired. And we expect this to be similar. Wow. So it does really, really well. It got a lot of um, publicity around the uh, the trans stuff. I haven't actually seen it. Um, Alex saw it and said it, it didn't stand out as like particularly harsh Chappelle stuff. It was just regular Chappelle stuff. I thought this was interesting. So two... Two shows debuted over the weekend, the Fauci documentary and the Dave Chappelle special. So the Fauci documentary got a 91% on Tomato Meter. That's the critics. 91% of the critics liked the Fauci documentary. Which I understand was lionizing the man, correct? It was a complimentary documentary? 4% of the audience liked it. 4. 91% of the critics thought it was good. 4% of the audience. On Chappelle... 97% 97% of the audience liked it. 97% of the audience, a third of the critics. So a little better, but still, only a third of the critics, while dang near every human being that rated the Chappelle thing liked it. It's too simple and too short, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's why Trump got elected. Absolutely. The Absolutely. elite, the we-know-better-than-you crowd, the Beltway, Manhattan, the critics, and the elite... It just so wildly, insultingly, condescendingly out of touch with most Americans for so long. And Trump was a thumb in their eye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, Chappelle, NPR just accused Dave Chappelle of using white privilege, which I'm sure will come as news to Chappelle himself. Uh, too often in the closer, it just sounds like Chappelle is using white privilege to excuse his own homophobia and transphobia, right? NPR television critic Eric Deggins, who is less self-aware than your average muskrat, I would have a feeling. <laughs> and the message Chappelle has for those who criticize him about transphobic, homophobic, or any other phobic joke seems to be race trumps all. He points to a line where Chappelle joked that if slaves had oil and booty shorts on, we might have been free a hundred years sooner, as an example. That's some sort of reference to gay people. I don't that, I'm just confused by that one. It's probably it probably came in a within a context that explains. Sure that. it does. 
<laughs> but Degan's point is, but lines like that assume that the struggle over oppression is a zero-sum game. That because some gay people have access to white privilege in America, all their concerns about stereotyping, blah, hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, blah. I hate to interrupt, but have you ever heard of comedy? Do you know what it is? The old, the, the really the only point of comedy is to get a joke. Sometimes it has a message, sometimes it makes a point, but it doesn't have to. And it certainly doesn't have to be uh, accurate. It's just supposed to be funny. That's no, it. the progressives have killed comedy. It's a comedy special. Look at look at all the comedians who who won't tour uh, college campuses anymore, and or they're just so crazy you can't satirize them any. You can't make fun of them because they're they clown themselves. A couple of jokes that explain what it means, and and I get what the guy's driving at, but he's wrong. Um, he he talks about he almost got in a fight with a gay man who then called the cops and said, "Hey, there's a black guy menacing me," and uh, Chappelle says, "Oh." Da, 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 da. Uh, gay people are minorities until they need to be white again. And then he talks about rapper DaBaby, who got more attention for perceived homophobic comments than he got for shooting and killing a person. Chappelle says, and there's a bit of a story to it, but we don't have time. In our country, you can shoot and kill and enter, but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings. Hmm. So, yeah, DaBaby made some controversial comments during a concert in July that were in the news for weeks, but the shooting thing just kind of came and went. So, and uh, Chappelle stood up for J.K. Rowling. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. She wrote all the Harry Potter books by herself. She sold so many books, the Bible worries about her. And they canceled it because she said in an interview that gender is a fact. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. We definitely have the numbers, though. The sane have the numbers. You just have to stand up for what you believe. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think that particularly if you're vaccinated... But you can get out there, you're outdoors for the most part, at least when my children were out there doing trick-or-treating, and enjoy it. How long do you think it will be until it's safe for vaccinated people to once again be indoors without a mask? You know, it's always tough to predict that. I hope that's soon, but I can't give a prediction of a date on that, Dana. Who are you talking to? I mean, I live in areas where it's mandatory to wear a mask inside, but nobody's doing it because they're worried about the COVID. And the rest of the country ain't wearing a mask at all. I got a text from somebody who's moving from California to Tennessee, probably. Uh, But they're in Tennessee scouting out stuff. And they said, we haven't worn a mask since we got off the plane anywhere. And I know that's the way most of the country is. who, Who does he hang out with? This Fauci, yeah, trick-or-treating, yeah, I think it'll be okay. Nobody was asking. I was going to trick-or-treat. So were the kids. We weren't going to ask you, all right? How soon will it be that a vaccinated person, fully vaccinated, can go without a mask indoors? No, you ninny! No! Months ago is the answer to your question. <laughs> yes, Michael. You think he's just that full of himself well, now? I don't know if he just runs in circles of people who think like him. Yeah, that's part of it. The other thing is their perception, and they, I mean, uh, from Fauci on down to the dope who's running your local health department, and they're probably a smart person, but their duty is to be the break. Just the break. 
all they do is say, well, better not slow down. Let's slow down. Better not. Better not take off your mask, even though you're fully vaccinated and a healthy 30 year old. But but the question I think maybe that Michael's asking or I'm asking is, does he think we're all waiting for the go ahead from him? To be able to get together for Christmas or go trick-or-treating or take a mask off inside with another family. You know what? He does probably he, does, does, because he... I guarantee he hangs around places like the town you live in. Yeah. Well, we're not. <laughs> we're not waiting around for the go-ahead from you. No, we are not. A couple of major updates on the Chinese bat fever, and uh, don't tune out. This is this is what you want to hear. I like this story. This is from the liberal New York Times. Emily Oster, an economist at Brown University who frequently writes about parenting, published an article in The Atlantic in March that made a lot of people angry. Uh Uh-oh. The headline was, Your unvaccinated kid is like a vaccinated grandma. The article argued that COVID-19 tended to be so mild in children that vaccinated parents could feel comfortable going out into the world with their unvaccinated children, which was clearly true and is absolutely clearly true. Critics called the article insensitive, misleading, said it understated the risks that children could both get sick and spread the virus. Oster responded on her website with a note standing by her main argument, but apologizing particularly for the headline's lack of nuance. Seven months later, with a lot more COVID available, the debate over the article looks quite different. Oster is the one who has been vindicated. If anything, subsequent data indicates she did not go far enough in describing the age skew of COVID. Today, an accurate version of her headline might be, Your unvaccinated kid is much safer than a vaccinated grandma. And the numbers are crazy. Hospitalization rates for uh, for kids age, uh, what is that? I scroll down too far. Less than five years old is dwarfed by the hospitalization rate for the fully vaccinated 65 plusers. It's, uh, tr- it's more than triple. It's going on four times as high. As you can see, the risks for unvaccinated children look similar to the risks for fully vaccinated people in their 50s. Nationwide statistics from England show an even larger skew. Children under 12 appear to be at less risk than vaccinated people in their 40s, if not 30s. Kids are practically impervious to the disease. Take their freaking masks off and get going with school. If if an unvaccinated kid is safer from COVID than a vaccinated 40-year-old, how do you make the argument that the kid needs to get vaccinated? You can't. I'm pro-vaccine. The regular one's for kids, and I'm pro-adults getting the COVID one. It's up to you, of course, but I'm, I got it, and I'm going to get a booster if it's necessary. On the other hand, I cannot find any science-based argument for getting the kids jabbed. I just can't. So, one more thing you might find interesting... And this is from Kaiser Health News. It's a giant corporate health concern, okay? The evidence is growing that contracting SARS-CoV-2, blah, 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 is generally as effective as, as vaccination at stimulating your immune system to prevent the disease. Yet federal officials have been reluctant to recognize any equivalency, citing the wide variation in COVID patients' immune response to infection. Like many disputes during the COVID pandemic, the uncertain value of a prior infection has prompted legal challenges, marketing offers, and political grandstanding, even as scientists work quietly in the background to sort out the facts. 
we don't have a full understanding of what the presence of antibodies tells us about immunity, says the director of infectious diseases at the Association of Public Health Laboratories. And some experts disagree on how much protection an infection delivers. But it is absolutely significant, according to all of these experts, that they quote, they're not sure how it matches up, but it matches up well enough that if you've had it, you should be pretty confident you have immunity. Makes sense to me. Some of the experts say uh, the research, this is one, uh, let's see, who's this person from? uh, My apologies. uh, I can't remember. There are too many names in this. But it's one of the disease experts, again, quoted by Kaiser. Um, For this scientist, the question is simple. The research on natural immunity is quite definitive now. It's better than immunity conferred by vaccines. Such categorical statements are clearly not shared by most in the scientific community where they say, you know, something a little more measured. But I... I, So the the NBA player that said a couple of weeks ago, look, I've had COVID, so I'm immune. He was right. Yeah, he was almost certainly right, particularly because he's a healthy, strong young man. Mm -hmm. His risk is, is negligible. I mean, it's vanishingly small. And I'm reminded of a piece Matt Taibbi wrote, and I quoted before, and we'll probably go back to it. It's a little too long for this segment, but he's talking about the vaccine neurotic. The people who, they have this weird fixation on COVID and a need to go 100% in 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 the direction of every measure that's anti-COVID, uh, to the point of not wanting kids in schools, wanting every kid jabbed, wanting you know just, uh, people who've had COVID to get jabbed, just they they can appreciate no nuance, and nuance is the wrong word. I mean, they can appreciate no hard data that tends to weaken their obsession. And so they just reject it. And then the media goes along with it, saying, oh, this is kind of dangerous. And they cloak everything. Now, you should keep in mind when you read this data that the vaccine is very effective and ivermectin is a horse paste and, and, and Dr. Fauci is our god. Every article is full of that sort of stuff. And I, I'm, I for one, am just over it. Hail Fauci! Hail Fauci! So USA Today says shots for kids could begin shortly after Halloween. Why? I don't know, but I have a feeling I'm going to have to get them for my kids if they want to stay in school. Will it make them slightly less likely to spread it to granny? Yeah, probably. One gazillion it's less. <laughs> I mean, just like, I don't know. And... and yeah, always. I remember Bill Maher had the joke a couple weeks ago. Doctor uh, recommending um, the booster shot. Besides, I want to buy a new boat. You always have to remember the, the the decision of mandating shots or not mandating shots means somebody is getting gazillions of dollars. That mm-hmm. decision. So yeah. that's got to play a role somewhere in the chain, doesn't it? You would hope that there is a counterbalance among our beloved uh, government representatives saying, no, 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 no. We're going to be very careful about this and make sure the scientific basis is sound. We don't care how much money Pfizer is going to make. You would hope that's the case. Important announcement from Southwest Airlines that has come out. If you were stranded over the weekend, or maybe you're still stranded right now, maybe your trip that cost X hundred dollars ended up costing X thousands of dollars because you had to stay another night uh, at a hotel 
or rent a car or whatever else, uh, they're very sorry. Oh, okay. They're very sorry. Now, both NPR, left-leaning, and the Dispatch, right-leaning, have stories out today saying they don't think it is about the vaccine. They think it's they've had a, they've had a problem for a long time with getting their pilots in place and uh, and logistical nightmare stuff that pilots have been complaining about for years, and it just all came together at one time as many people had predicted. Um, I don't know well, what's true or not, but I think it's interesting that both the Dispatch and NPR are reporting that. Well, the the argument is that they've had that crew shortage. They're, I mean, they barely have enough people to keep the fairly complex network going, and that that weather problem in Florida grounded a bunch of flights, and then there was some minor air traffic thing that they probably just threw in to make it more excusable, but that was enough to... Cancel just, a third of your flights? Exactly. It was a cascading effect, Jack. Uh, as I said yesterday, if I'm Southwest Airlines, I'd rather have the vaccine mandate story out there than the we just can't function story out there. Well, yeah, if it rains in Florida, we're going to cancel a third of our flights. If it rains in Florida, you will not be able to get home from Vegas. You'll have to right. rent a car and drive home or wherever you are. That's yeah. not a good that's not a good airline. That's that's the official story. So before before I fly to Phoenix, I need to check to see what the weather is like in Florida. Exactly. So the uh, rainstorm in Florida and some air traffic controller in Portland, Maine, had a headache and had to go out of the room for a minute to get some ibuprofen, uh, and that uh, they had to cancel twenty eight thirty percent of their flights. Yeah, uh, that's nice. Got a couple of China stories for you. Always a China story. Including probably the big, one's good news, one's bad news, probably the big China story of our time that we probably should debate nationally before the uh, time comes to make the decision. Anyway, all that's on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Can I stop hearing about Jeopardy? Perfectly okay show. Don't hate on it. But just, what, is it the national obsession that some news media seems to think so? Uh, Anyway, the new uh, host of Jeopardy, replacing Alex Trebek, Mahim Bialik, has questioned vaccines. And weighed in on hot-button issues, so that's controversial. All right, fine. Yeah, whatever. Also, the person that uh, had the longest winning streak, 38 games, million and a half dollars, lost. So there's your Jeopardy news. One more thing you don't need to know, so you probably wonder why I'm saying it. Uh, Demi Lovato, who's a singer of some sort, drug addict, California sober, she uh, thinks the term aliens is derogatory to extraterrestrials and would like to have it struck from the language. So there you go. If that is an attempt at satire or humor, I appreciate it. If it's sincere, well, the opinions of wackadoodle, drugged-up singers is just not that interesting to me. I think she should go back on the drugs if she is indeed sober. Uh, Two things, China stories, that I think are really interesting. One... Oh, that that one got me scared. If you're about to go there, go ahead. Go there if you're going to go there. I'm starting here. Um... This is in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. I meant to mention it. 
President Xi, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it turns out is actually a communist, which I didn't think he probably was. Um, but he actually is a communist, and that's a good thing. He believes. So you thought he was a totalitarian pretending to be a communist? Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I always thought about Stalin too. Turns out he was a communist. Anyway, um, President Xi has directed the Chinese Communist Party's commission, the Commission for Discipline. We need one of those around here. Sure. The Commission for Discipline. To investigate whether Chinese state-owned banks and state financial regulators are becoming too close with private financial institutions. It's part of Xi's broader effort to crack down on private Chinese businesses. So just when China's poised to take over the world financially, the, the actual communist president says now is the time to really institute communism and stop all this private business making money crap. Wow, so they rode the horse of the free market to prosperity and and becoming a world power, and now that they're there, he wants to slaughter the horse and eat the meat. Good. I'm glad to hear you're actually a communist, and you somehow in your crazy mind think that's going to make your country stronger somehow? Yeah, no kidding. It's it's like a suicide. Anyway, it's good news for us. And, um... uh, that's not where I thought he was going to go. Let's see if he goes there now. Representative Amy Barra, who's a California Democrat who happens to chair the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is saying we need to discuss now whether or not we're going to come to the defense of Taiwan if Ch- if China invades. And I think, well, I think I agree that we should have this conversation before it's like, you know, breaking news on a on a Tuesday afternoon, China has just invaded Taiwan, and then we decide as a country whether we think it's a good idea or not. Um, but uh, Amy Barrow, who's the chair of the committee, said, um, I think we should move away from strategic ambiguity and talk openly about military deterrence and what we're willing to do. And I think I think that'd be a good idea myself. Now, some believe that kind of leaving it up in the air gives us more more of an advantage, but I'm not sure it does. Uh, a lot of the experts that I agree with say the best, the best offense is a good defense. It's letting the Chinese know, hey, we're serious. We will come to the defense, and this is how much we'll throw at it. To keep them from even trying is the best way to avoid conflict. If they think we're kind of wobbling and maybe there's not political will to do anything about it, China might make the calculation that I think we can take it and they'll back down. Well, I here's here's the uh, the real politic view of it. If our policy is that we absolutely will defend Taiwan, then declaring that is a good idea. If our policy is that probably not, then it's a better idea to leave it open, not say anything. Well, that makes sense. So they at least think we might, even though we won't. It's like, you know, uh, some uh, some brigand, <laughs> some scumbag, some robber appears at my doorstep. And he's like, you have a gun in there? You have a gun? Because I'm going to bust into your door. If I have a gun, I'm telling him, yeah, I got an effing gun. You want to see it? If I don't, I'm going to leave the, the question open. Well, pol- You'll find out when you get in here, boy. Most politicians are cowards, and they'll do whatever, whichever the way the wind direction the wind is blowing. I think if... if- uh, if you polled right now, most Americans would say, we don't have any business. You know, Americans were okay with getting out of Afghanistan, and Americans would be okay with letting China have Taiwan because they don't understand the impact. 
That's why I think that uh, Chairman Barra is right. Let's have the conversation now. Let's make the case to the American people why it is a big deal, like a really big deal. If China takes back Taiwan, they will control something like a third of uh, commerce in the world by taking Taiwan and having that chunk of the world. Uh, Currently, the United States keeps every shipping lane in the world open. China takes Taiwan, Japan realizes, and we don't do anything about it. Japan realizes, okay, America doesn't come to defense, so I guess we can't take them on. Um, China now controls that whole chunk of the world in shipping and can clog it up whenever they want to or, uh, you know, uh, whatever kind of fees they want. It's right. a big, not, big deal. Not to mention the uh, computer chips that are in everything that has an on button that we are already dealing with a severe shortage and having to depend on Asia to get to us. Yeah, yeah. The C- you know, it's funny. I thought you were going to go back to this, uh, the Pentagon's former software chief who just resigned. And I want, I need follow up on this. He told the Financial Times, we have no competing fighting chance against China in 15, 20 years. Right now, it's already a done deal. It's over, in my opinion. U.S. cyber defense systems were at a kindergarten level. We've already lost. China's won. I'm quitting. I'm out. I mean, if, if that guy is, is, accurate if what he says is true that's devastating i'd say yeah i although you know what maybe he is the the courageous man who sought to draw attention to for instance what he said the dod should stop pretending they want industry folks to come and help if they're not going to let them do the work while we wasted time in bureaucracy our adversaries moved further ahead so, one of the biggest names in the NFL forced to resign yesterday over some comments made in emails 10 years ago? Private emails, yeah, in some cases old. Hey, if you ever miss a segment of the show, you can get it on demand. Armstrong and Getty On Demand at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever podcasts are distributed. Armstrong and Getty.